0: hey guys it's feeling to succeed with me louise stevenson episode two of season two and this one is amazing it's all about the future of work and i was really excited to sit down and chat to get and nadin who is wait for it a hr influencer i bet you didn't even know that was a thing i definitely didn't he's an award-winning psychologist he's written best-selling books and he is a chief innovation officer and so the top guy to speak to when it comes to all things HR. As you guys know, there's been a lot of flux in the industry with lockdown and Brexit and we're all trying to maneuver this wonderful new world of remote hybrid working. But a lot of us are now questioning, what is it that I want from work? How do I get work to fit into my lifestyle and how do I get work to work for me. And so in this episode, Gethin talks to us about all the failures that he sees companies doing. And employers, listen up, because there's some hard truths and radical changes in here that you guys need to make in order to attract and keep good employees. So here's me and Gethin talking about the future of work and his predictions for what that will actually look like. Gethin, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I've got a really long list of accolades here that I'm going to call out. Are you ready? Award-winning psychologist, best-selling author, named as Inspiringly leader 2021, HR influencer, employee experience influencer, now chief innovation officer. What have I missed out?
1: <laughs> nice guy, good friend, um, all of that kind of nice stuff. I mean, yeah, it's 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 nice to get some of those accolades, but I'm always quite conscious that it's other people that have helped me get there. So I know we're yeah. talking about failures today, but there's you know yeah. we, we hold each other up, right? So
0: absolutely,
1: yeah. I yeah. think the, the inspiring leader one, I think was the most recent one, is is really that uh, means a lot to me because that was the customers I work with voted for that. So you know they're paying me to do work with them, yet they're voting. Oh um, for the impact that I had so that that means a lot.
0: That's the ultimate yeah but before we get into all of that I want to take it back for a bit because I can't imagine that when you were at school you thought do you know what when I grow up I'm going to work in HR. <laughs> I can't imagine that you as mum at 12 years old this is what I'm going to do so where did it start?
1: I'm not sure there's anyone in the world working in HR that was a, a six, year
0: <laughs> old child thinking
1: I really want to work in HR. I, I guess kind of just before university it was really interested in kind of society and why society operates in the way it does so I focused a lot on sociology and English literature for for A-levels and that was something right. that I was really interested in but I also did art by the time I did my A-levels I'd had two GCSEs in art art was really the thing that I was going to focus on and I did my work experience with an animation company and that was really what I wanted to do as a 16 year old I really wanted Ooh. to be an animator and you know back when video cameras weren't on a phone in your pocket and were quite expensive my parents yeah, yeah cobbled together the money to get a second-hand one, and I Started making my own little animations in my bedroom as a sixteen.
0: Oh wow! I love that. That sounds super interesting.
1: Yeah, and so um, and through that met people like Nick Park and. Wallace and Gromit I mean I met them at plastic models but I met them um
0: so that was really
1: what I wanted to do and so when I was heading towards going to university I was considering art college and then just basically slightly pivoted didn't get the results I expected to get was looking at journalism but my my fallback was psychology and so my, my theory awesome. was wherever there's people in the world there's going to be a need for psychology so if I did that I, that was kind of a good place for me to be in and
0: so would you say then that that's kind of that was your first failure if you like in your career that you didn't actually pursue the career that you thought you were going to pursue it yeah you you had a great backup and that's kind of paved the way for where you are
1: now yeah exactly
0: and what and so you went and pursued that at university yeah
1: yeah and so did that as a degree and then uh, like I say when I graduated got some jobs in television very hard to come by very low paid there was one point where I was waking up at five in the morning as a production assistant on local radio for a couple of hours then I was going to the BBC working there all day Mm -hmm. and then I was going straight from there to work at a part-time job in a shop
0: wow just to afford life
1: well just because it was i needed the money and uh, some of those jobs just didn't pay very much one of them was kind of voluntary just to get the experience and yeah, so
0: man.
1: um and then it got to the point where i'd had a television idea picked up by bbc3 and the the television idea was called uh, Wish You Were Her, and it was my idea of taking happily married husbands and wives and finding the childhood sweetheart they didn't marry, getting the husband and the childhood sweetheart to oh, live together.
0: Oh, that is dark, boy, and, that is uh, dark. Yeah,
1: and this is kind of pre-Love is Blind, pre-Love Island, so there's nothing really <laughs> like this. But they felt it was too much like Wife Swap, which was really popular at the time.
0: Oh, right, um, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, they
1: were, but they were interested in it, but BBC Three did some rounding cuts, and it didn't make it, and uh, I was out of work. I then got offered a job working on a program for an American company that was coming over to the UK to make a kind of cookery and gardening program, and that, that kind of fell through as well. So, yeah, we kind of had this point where I was out of work for three months. I started to feel like that was really affecting my confidence. There were a couple nice. of times where I was go out into the city centre having not been working for months on end and felt really conscious about being around people. Like I really felt like it was starting to affect almost my personality by not working.
0: But TV is so fickle like that. You you're in one minute and then drop the next. It's such a difficult industry and there's no rhyme or reason to it half the time. It's a yeah. lot of it is well, not
1: this television programme, the, the presenter was Martha Stewart, the kind of oh,
0: really?
1: American TV presenter. So the reason oh, yeah. why the show didn't go ahead was because she was indicted for fraud and so was put in prison <laughs> so it didn't come across to the UK. Um, wow. I love that.
0: this. Is, these are very extreme situations here. Yeah.
1: And so this and so that was kind of probably the second failure was then it was you know a couple of these TV jobs had fallen through and I needed to get a job and so I applied for a, a kind of temping job and got a mm-hmm. full-time job in Pensions admin. And I remember having a conversation with my dad where he's like, You either keep focusing on the television stuff or you make this work. And I took a few days holiday and would do little bits of television work for like adverts and things. But it just got to the point where I just had to kind of, I needed to make a decision like, Do I make this work or do I keep trying to get the television stuff? And I decided to try and make it work. You know, there's a couple of different pivots here where things went wrong. And I guess I just tried to make whatever the next option was work for me, which I guess.
0: But this is what the whole point is. It's when these doors we feel are closed on us, it's where is the opportunity? What is that window that's open that we can climb through and scramble and actually make something work out of, I guess, something that we felt ended, you know?
1: I guess life finds a way, right? It's, it's not easy yeah. really to say it. I guess when you talk about resilience, it's about you get those knocks and it's like, well, how do I carry on? And I think if you look at Steve Jobs's address, I think it's to Harvard University, you can see it on YouTube. He talks about how when you look back over your life, you can join the dots, and you can't imagine life turning out a different way. And so, despite all those failures and pivots, I can't imagine. You know, I, I'm at a place now where I do work that I enjoy. It's a vocation for me. I get paid well for doing it. And so, I can't imagine life turning out a different way. Really, I'm very grateful yeah. for, for those failures.
0: Absolutely, and life is not linear. I think when we're younger, we're like, yeah, I've got my plan. I- I go to school, I go to university, I get this job. Then in five years' time, I get this job and I'll be making this money. You're like, right, I've got it sorted in my head. <laughs> Life just does not work out like that at all whatsoever. But we need that experience and that maturity to understand that. So normally, we go into a bunch of field yards and I get to ask CEOs or people at the top of their field what has been the biggest learning for them. But with you, I want to go down a slightly different route And I want to ask about failures that you see within HR and other companies time and time again, because this is your game, Chief Innovation Officer, time and time again that you see that you're like, oh, I wish you weren't doing it like that. Or this is so easy. This, This tiny little fix would change your entire company or the entire way that you run your organization. Things that you can see are making employees dreadfully unhappy that are quite easy fixes that
1: frustrate you in the HR world? Yeah, I guess guess first thing to say, when my dad knew I was going to do this podcast with you, I was talking to him about what the theme was going to be. He's always said that the one thing I did that he thought I did really well that he didn't appreciate. So the failure he would see in his life was networking. He always felt like networking was something like a load of nonsense. Like, why do people do it? It's just people kind of getting together and blowing their own trumpets. And he didn't really understand it. But throughout my career, he's understood that I've tried to create a network of close people and I've tried to always do favors for people and I've tried to always be there for others so that when I've needed support and a couple of times when I've lost my job or been out of work, I've got jobs in less than a week. And that's happened because of the network of people that I've kind of curated around me. And so he kind of says now that the one thing he's learned from me about his career is he should have networked more and he should have made more effort with people.
0: That's so good, because that's probably something that, I mean, I don't know about you, Geth, and I am an extrovert, as you can probably tell. And so I find making connections quite easily with people. And when I moved to London... I would say that I've got a close friend from probably every job that I've had in London, but I don't think that's actually normal for a lot of people who find those connections quite hard to make. And I think maybe we just take that for granted. So that's amazing yeah. that your dad actually called that I out
1: right. a You're right. I think it's a really valuable skill. And I think you know, even as you know, a forty-year-old adult, it can it can be difficult to go into a room, a conference, and pour yourself a cup of tea and just go up to a stranger and start a conversation. It doesn't. Well, You're right, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. One of the biggest deals in Benefex's history started off with me networking, having a coffee with somebody that I didn't think there was anything there, but it might turn into something. There are about three quite kind of big leads we're working on as a business now that have come through me, that are people that I just started chatting with either at conference or through social media. We never really spoke about work. We found something in common. We had a few conversations. And then the day they think about buying something, they think of you. And it's a huge lesson, I think, many people, HR especially, have to learn that, you know, creating that network of people really helps you save a lot of time. You don't have to learn through your own mistakes. You can learn through other people's mistakes if you've got those relationships with people. And so I guess that would be the first thing, not just for HR, but for anyone, is networking, I think, is really, really important. And it's it's easier to do now than it's ever done before. You could be a bit of an introvert and still send a message on LinkedIn and still connect with people. Yeah. I think the skill now is how do I have a conversation that's worthwhile for them and me rather than me just trying to squeeze other people for information or connection. So that'd be the first thing. I guess one of the biggest things I think I see with HR is we've gone through these kind of pretty significant generational shifts as, as to this understanding of what HR is to an organization. So for a long time, HR were like the police, right? They work in the organization, they try and keep everyone honest, they look after the corporation. And I kind of, if you ask most people years ago, and now we're in this situation, you know, boys. By the pandemic where actually people start to see actually HR a really important part of the business and quite important to strategy but also quite important to the individual because all the support that your organizations gave people during the pandemic that they stepped up and they were there for you that was driven a lot by HR teams so I think one of the mistakes I see in modern organizations now one of the kind of failures people make is to not really to it's not understand the value of HR first of all you know not give them a seat at the table not take them seriously you know you should have a HR person on every board in every Organization and there are big failures, really big kind of public failures where HR and that people not understanding and valuing HR has kind of really dented the business.
0: I think when. People- think about hR what they used to think definitely and this is what I used to think so forgive me was like the people who kind of came up with your contract you know and that was kind of the start and the end they approved contracts they kind of made sure that you had all your holidays yeah. and that all the all legal was they are and I think that's kind of how people saw them for a for a long time so what does a really good functioning well working hR department look like these days
1: yeah I think your view of HR is the same as as most people's because that's kind of what hr used to be and in some organizations it still is right not every hr or uh, not every hr team is this kind of really progressive or um kind of department that puts people at the center but i think what we've seen over the last couple of years is this fundamental shift i think from what we used to design kind of people strategies and hr for and now who we need to design them for and so there's this new view that hr's there for the people not for the employer and so that means Mm -hmm. you kind of you put the person at the middle you look after them as much as you can you give them all the support and development they need and everything else will fall into place mm-hmm. and it's a belief i've subscribed to for, for many years and a lot of my book is is written about uh kind of we need to put the employee at the center if you give people everything they need and support them and encourage them they will deliver better customer service. They will design better products. They will innovate and collaborate more. And again, that can feel a little bit of a kind of leftist liberal idea. I think to kind of you know because some people are still in this mindset of you come to work, you get paid, you leave, and that's the end of the relationship. But for most yeah. of us, that's just not the case anymore. We we work kind of because we have to, but we still try to find some good in our work and we try to make work a positive force in our lives.
0: Definitely. And for work, a lot of us it's a lot more than a nine to five. It- well, sometimes it's a lot more because it's a lot more time that we're actually invested in than nine to five. But it's also that we want to get something out of our work rather than just turn up, plug in, leave again, go home to your family. You know, people are, I guess, much older having kids now or choosing not to have kids at all. Therefore, work does take up the, actually the, the core of their day and their lives and they want it to matter to them and get something out of it
1: yeah and so the failure is not understanding that and not understanding there's an individual at the end of every employee experience and so hr and managers and anyone responsible for people should be thinking okay i've got louise in front of me what does she need and how do I create a great experience for her so that she can blossom in this role and create all the good things I need her to do. And so that means that you, you, we need to understand you. And exactly as you said, we need to understand your life and what motivates you, what makes you happy and and, and making sure that where possible, we're giving you all those things. And I think, I guess, a, a common failure I see at the moment is that I think, I think most organizations are on that journey to kind of creating more people-centric strategies. But I think the fast-paced nature of of life and change these days means that there's kind of no time to waste we don't have the luxury of time anymore we've got to really put the employee at the center as quickly as we can look at the most successful organizations in the world they do see the employee at the primary stakeholder they see people as an investment that when you've got people in your business and we saw this through the pandemic they are adaptable they innovate Mm -hmm. they can make decisions quickly that's really valuable features of people that even AI can't replicate yet. So, we've started to, because of the pandemic, understand that, okay, people are really important. So, actually, putting things like uh, fairness, uh, equality, well being, you know, all those are critical to sustaining a kind of successful organization. This isn't just about putting people at the middle for the sake of it. It's because actually, by putting the people at the center and giving them what they need and delivering the best employee experience for them, you actually create the best outcomes for the organization as well.
0: Absolutely. And so I'm glad that you brought the pandemic up because obviously the world of work has changed exponentially since March 2020. I did want to touch on that because obviously when lockdown came, everybody was working from home. Well, who could work from home was working from home and we had our essential workers. But the world of work has changed so much That now that we are not in a lockdown anymore and it's post-pandemic, I would say we're coming out of it at least. The big shift that I see is that employees want completely different things from their job and the employers who are willing to be flexible and move with that are keeping the good talent and the employers who want to stick to how it was before are actually losing a lot of talent is that what, what you're seeing as well get
1: yeah absolutely i think you know the, the pandemic has accelerated many trends that were already coming i don't think it's really changed much uh, for anyone that's been paying attention the great resignation or whatever you want to call it yeah. was on its way employee well-being was kind of driving the employee experience quite a lot you know the mm. pandemic hit and That accelerated a lot of those things by i think probably a decade but they were well on their way um but i think the pandemic also accelerated this big trend um and that's kind of our attitude to each other and the earth employees experienced a number of generation defining events in just the last couple of years and i think when you look at the under 40s working for anyone who's listening to this podcast which is around half of the employee base in most organizations Mm. they've been subject to the sharp end of this pandemic and the associated recession And they've been more likely to suffer financial stress or lose their jobs entirely during the pandemic. And that's the same group of people that suffered most during the 2008 recession. And they will bear the brunt of the current cost of living increase. And they are now officially the unluckiest generation in history when it comes to economic growth.
0: Wow, is it? Wow.
1: What going to happen is when you look at people over time, the generation that follows does better than the generation before. We are expected to do better than our parents because the work our parents put in set us up and and et cetera, et cetera. So it grows and grows and grows. That's dropped off for pretty much anyone under the age of 40. So now our parents are much, much better off than we are. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. We're supposed to get to our fifties and we should be living our best lives in many cases. And so, you know, as a result of that, It's not surprising that 80% of people in the UK blame capitalism for lots of the issues that are going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And around 70% of people under the age of 40 now say they want to work and live in a socialist Mm -hmm. society. And those figures have increased pretty dramatically in the UK and the US since about 2018. So, again, even before the pandemic, that change was happening. And so, I think lots of young people are pretty dissatisfied with the way our societies are being run. Politics, the economy, you know. The Institute of Economic Affairs revealed recently that 75 percent of young British people say that they think socialism is a good idea. But that figure doesn't really change when you start to look at people hitting 40, 45, 50. And so, I don't think it's necessarily a rejection of capitalism in itself, but this uneven distribution of it. You know, I talk to employers now around, you know, how are we creating good workplaces that are a force for good, that are supporting employee well-being, that are prioritising giving back to communities and supporting the most marginalized and poorest in society so that your organization can become a force for good. And that I think is a big change. And again, one of the things that will be a failure is the companies that don't understand that because they are now indicators of success.
0: Yeah, because I feel like before lockdown, it was almost like you get up, you went to work, you did your thing at night in the evening, you went to see mates and had dinner, or went cinema or whatever you did. And almost by the weekend, you were too knackered to kind of think about what else in your life did you want to give your time to because you didn't have any time and then what happened when lockdown came is we had so much time that it made us reflect on is my job the job that I feel like I want to be in for the rest of my life now that I roll out of bed I sit at my desk all day and then I roll back into bed at night I think it really made people stop and think and I know loads of people who have changed career completely. They're in a brand new industry or they're they're still working for the job that they were at before, but they're arguing with their employers that they don't need to be in five days a week or even yeah. two days a week because they've got a massive commute. Because we proved to all these companies that we could still make them money. Yeah. You know, why not going into the office. So I feel like that is just an extension, you know, the wanting to give back to the world or be a force for good that's just an extension of what we've learned for the past two years exactly
1: and it's important to note the link with the link between what you've just said and kind of people being a bit more anti-capitalist is this idea that most young people now don't believe that doing a good job and hard work will get them the rewards that they deserve because we have we just don't see that very often so there's a lot of research to back this up so people are like if I'm going to go to work now I can't chase the money because for most people that's out of reach so if I'm going to do a job it's got to be for some other reason now I'm clearly got bills to pay and that's going to be the primary reason why most of us work but I can get I can get a wage anywhere now. And, and so I think the employees now in charge in many senses, and I think they're now looking at organizations where, you know, if I'm going to give you eight hours a day, five days a week, what else do I get? And if I get a sense of purpose, if I can see I'm making a difference to the world, if I can spend more time with my friends and family, if I can have a better home life, if I can save money through not commuting and all that kind of stuff, then that's what I want to do. And so we want to make work work for us. And again, that's this big shift in the idea of the employee experience and designing it around the employee. Employees just have no choice. They have to deliver what employees want, or they're going to lose the best and most talented people. Mm -hmm. Being that time and time again, where stories are hitting the news, where people are saying, no, no, all back in the office, Mm -hmm. not allowed to work from home anymore. And people are saying, do you know what? This job's not for me. I'm leaving. And that's a big mistake that we talk about failures there's loads of examples i've seen of exactly. companies doing that and what a massive failure to lose so many talents i saw one company told me recently they told all the developers to come back to work told them we weren't allowed to hybrid work anymore and 10% of them quit the same day loads of examples of that and for anyone who's trying to recruit a developer at the moment you know how difficult and valuable those types wow. of people are so yeah, the mistake lots of companies will make is forcing employees so to do large. stuff they don't want yeah, to do so if you want the best the most talented people they already understand well actually i know what works for me i know mm. what working patterns and what work location allows me to thrive and blossom so if you don't understand that i'm just going to go and find somebody who will and the chances of finding somebody that will are very high at the moment
0: and it's this of trust as well isn't it because it's almost like we've we've proved to you that we can do it but you still don't trust us that we're going to put that hours yeah. in and that we're actually going to make it work for you and for me because now I just want work-life balance so a massive failure I think of these companies is the lack of trust
1: trust underpins so much of what we do you can't succeed with employee well-being at work without trust trust is a, a primary factor if not the driving factor of the employee experience and for a long time you're right we've just never trusted people and I I think the pandemic has been a huge experiment in trust. And yeah, guess what? No shit, we can trust people, and most people won't abuse it. They'll get on with their work. We even have to look even before the pandemic started. Some of the world's largest pieces of research looking into trust globally. They had one group of experimenters, who um, researchers who dropped seventeen thousand purses and wallets with cash in them all around the world, in shopping malls and train stations, to see what people did. And in almost every single country, people picked up the wallet and purse and handed it in and didn't take the money out. Yeah,
0: wow. Well done, humanity.
1: (laughs) The more money that was in it, the more likely somebody was to hand it in, which went against the advice of 20 economists and experts who said, no, no, the more money you put in it, the more likely the money is to be stolen. 38 out of 40 countries, the more money you put in the purse or wallet, the more likely somebody was to hand it in. we can trust people. So why why do we continually act in a way that we don't trust people? Well, it, it blows my mind.
0: It's like what you said before. We have to go back to human centric policies. It has to be centered around a human because it's that human contact that we've been missing. I think for so many years. Yeah,
1: and I think yeah, you know, for International Women's Day, I put a picture of my mum on LinkedIn and talked about kind of how we want women to be treated at work and. A lot of people picked up on the fact that I just kind of say, when I'm thinking about employee experience design, I think about my mum and I think about if that was my mum at work, how would I want her to be treated?
0: Oh, wow. That's excellent. I love that school thought. Yeah.
1: I think if everyone thought that way, we would start to create much better workplaces where we're like, wait, if I spoke to my mum like that, would I I be happy as her son if I heard somebody speak to me like that or somebody ran that meeting or excluded her in that way or made her feel marginalised or unappreciated? How would that make me feel? And suddenly we start to be a bit more honest with ourselves about, okay, there is a human being at the end and that human being at the end is very likely to be somebody's mum. So why aren't I treating them in a different way?
0: Yeah, because we're not robots, are we? And this lack of time with each other and kind of, lack of connection that we've experienced for the past couple of years is really coming to the forefront now and it's like all right if I only get a dedicated amount of time with my family with my friends or at work how do I shape it
1: yeah I think we've kind of touched upon it a little bit but it's kind of what is the workplace for for those people that could work from home why are we trying to get them back to the office we're trying to get them back to the office because that works for that employer so we're not again not thinking about what's best for the employee we're not looking at the employee at the end and thinking hang on that person's saving 200 pounds by not commuting that's a significant increase in their disposable income every month I'm just getting them back to the office because my command and control way of management means I, I can't ha- handle the fact that I've got people working in different places and so I think that one of the big failures at the moment in the organizations and HR is not understanding that The world has changed. The elastic has been stretched and it's not going to go back to the same shape. So what the workplace is for has to change as well. So we can't just encourage everyone back to the office. We can't just put food on and say, come back to the office. We have to fundamentally rethink what is the workplace here for? And how can it deliver stuff that I can't get at home? So how can I bring people together to collaborate more? How can I get groups of people sat around on beanbags in front of dry whiteboards and and do the things they can't do at home? Because the worst mistake I think I see people make at the moment is we're bringing people back to the office just for them to sit on Zoom meetings in the same way that they were at home. And it's like, what is the point? It's a waste of time and money. We can't replicate the old ways. We have to really think, what is the office for? And if people don't want to come in, why don't they want to come in? And again, how do I treat them as an individual? So if I, if I can see that, well, actually, this person's spending £200 less a month and that's making a big difference to their financial well-being. Is it the right thing to do to force Mm. them to the office? But conversely, for some people, home is not a safe space. And if you're a 23-year-old living at home with your brothers and sisters and parents, living and working in your bedroom is not a great experience. So can that person come to the office and treating everyone as that individual, I think, is really, really important. But back to our first point, it's putting the employee at the center and thinking, what does work need to deliver for this person, for both them and the organization to be successful?
0: Because it's a really, really basic mindset, but the happier you are as a person, the better output of work that you are going to contribute to that
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of evidence to back that up. We can say that with absolute confidence. Yeah. That is the way it works. The happier and healthier somebody is, the better they are at their job.
0: Absolutely. So what do you see the future of HR looking like, or what would you like it to be?
1: So I think what's quite interesting is there's lots of the the talks I'm doing at the moment are around environmental, social and governance issues. And so we're starting to see things like, you know, the way we treat employees in the workplace, that's a really important part of sustainability. So when you look at the UN's 17 sustainability goals that every organisation and country is trying to achieve, I think about nine of those can be achieved by the way that HR deals with employees and creates and designs the employee experience. And so I think there's this crossover now with that social side and how do we treat people fairly? at work and all that kind of good stuff and I think that's going to really really drive organizations I think that's going to be really really important and the most successful organizations I think are emerging as the ones that are socially responsible and kind of what we call compassionate capitalism that's kind of growing where organizations are starting to focus on the triple bottom line as they call it which is what's the financial impact of my business what's the environmental impact and what are the kind of social results
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and so I think that's what HR is going to turn into is is much more focused on that kind of social side of ESG and sustainability and how do we create better environments for people, whether they're customers, suppliers or employees? It's minimum level for anyone listening to this, even if you're just working an SME and you employ five people and maybe you're a hairdresser's on a high street, how are you making that high street better? How are you making that area where you might have residents living better? Can you sponsor and contribute to local schemes can you kind of help food banks in that area can you start to eradicate poverty I think that's what people will start to think now why would I go and work for this hairdresser well I get paid and I get to do the job I love but I also work for a company that's making a difference
0: wow. and it
1: doesn't even make a difference if those changes are to do with hairdressing or not if you're just allowing your employees to volunteer if you're finding opportunities to raise or donate money to local charities mm-hmm. employee activism is getting bigger and bigger as time goes on
0: point to end on um also i know you've got a couple of books that you have written and you've got a new one in the pipeline but um remind us of a world of good um amazon bestseller won a couple of awards um when we spoke about it before you said that it came out pre-pandemic but actually some of it had come true so i want to touch on that just for a couple of minutes what a revelation! It's almost like we're moving towards like the utopia of Scandinavia, <laughs> where they, where they trust all their employees, they get the work done, they have a healthy work-life balance, and um, you know, we just need a bit of sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> us thank you so much geth and remind us what the book's called and where we can buy
1: it it's called a world of good lessons from around the world in improving the employee experience uh, you can get it on amazon barnes and noble blackwells all the various bookshops online
0: Awesome, thank you so much. Thank you Gethin. This is super super interesting. And I hope you enjoy Scotland.
1: Yeah, thank you. I
0: hope the sun comes out for you. Although do take a jump because I'm sure it'll be freezing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, really appreciate it.
0: Not at all, not at all.